Good morning. Looks like we got a lot of folks traveling and out and about, trusting that we had a good Christmas. Everybody have a good Christmas? Good time with family and stuff? Good. Good deal. Um, yeah, our, our, our Christmas Eve service was, was really cool if you were able to, to be here. There were a lot of folks here. It was full, really full. And there was so much help and volunteer work and hours that went into that. And, and everybody, you, you know who you are if you were part of that. But I just want to say thank you so much. I don't really uh, have the list to go through. But it was, it was a substantial amount of people that, that, went, that, that did that. And, and just, just the thing is, is that like those things, they, it seems like they just happen. You know, but they don't, and, and it takes just a lot of preparation, a lot of work, a lot of effort that goes into those things. So we're so thankful for all of our folks who jumped in, who, uh, who poured their time and uh, resources and all that into that, because we know that that's always a great opportunity to reach people as well uh, during that service. So thank you so much. So we've been talking about the, the humility of Christmas has been our series as we've been uh, going through that. We're going to finish that this, this morning by just talking about, by, by kind of starting to encapsulate this with the idea of the humility of God. As, as a matter of fact, about everything that went into the humility of Christmas, the, the humility of the servants, the humility of the place, the humility of the welcoming party is really all just an expression of the humility of God. As we talked before, humility in the ancient culture wasn't a virtue at all. It, it, it was not a Roman virtue. It wasn't a Greek virtue. The, the, the predominant influencers of the world um, didn't really live with a concept of, of humility. Um, as a matter of fact, it was perfectly known and acceptable that you would tout yourself for your accomplishments and all that you had done and whatnot. And you would certainly never display humility to somebody who was your equal or your lesser. Now, you might when it came to the gods or, or, or to a, a Caesar or something like that because they could kill you, but that would be the only way that you would actually exercise humility um, in the world. And so really, Jesus, as Jesus comes in, he introduced uh, this concept of humility. And this, this concept of humility is, is really uh, very uh, life-changing. It, it, it's, it's global. It's, it's had a global effect on the world. And so now we are a people in Western culture who begin to value humility. So there's a lot of things that, that like, uh, somebody could come and they could tell me, they could say, you know what, Try, you are an amazing musician. And I could say, wow, thank you. Thank you. That's, but, but you know, hey, it's, it's just, it's not. That, that, honestly, that wouldn't be very humble because I'm not a good musician. Um, but if I was an amazing musician, if I was a world-class musician, for me to, to kind of, you know, just, just not let that blow my head up and my, my ego up and those kinds of things, that, that would be a real display of, of humility. Uh, you know, if, if you were the, the, the CEO of some Fortune 500 company, yet you were willing to take some time and, and meet with, you know, the lowliest of your, of your workers, your workforce, the, those who are the cheapest paid, or you took time to clean the restroom or something like that. Th those things would be kind of a display of, of humility, the idea that, that, hey, this guy doesn't see himself as, as, as so great that he's above and beyond some of these uh, duties or some of these things. And so as we start to kind of get a concept, I think that the, the idea or the concept of the humility of God goes so far beyond the spectrum of, the hum, of human humility. 
I, I mean, it, it is like we're going to try to somehow get a hold of this idea of, of how this God has, has allowed himself to subject himself to his own creation that he might redeem it. And that is just, it's the most profound, it's the craziest thought to think of. I mean, okay, uh, let me just give you a little, I, I like stories and, and I like kind of weird stories. Sometimes I make up weird stories, okay? So, so this is one of them I thought of a long time ago, was thinking of a long time ago. So imagine, imagine that you somehow had this amazing creative capacity within you. And, and so you, you, you sat down one day and you started crafting little people out of, out of Play-Doh. And, and you built all these little people and you fashioned them and you, you made them really nice and all of this stuff. And, and then you were able to somehow, you were able to just breathe life into them and all of these little Play-Doh people came alive in your home, Right? Except pretty quick, they started running around, tearing stuff up, messing up everything that you had. You know, you'd tell them to do something, they wouldn't listen to anything that you had to say. They just kind of started just destroying your home, right? They, they started just doing all kinds of stuff that was actually in contradiction to, to, to what you were asking them. Hey, come on, no, you know, come on, guys, be nice to each other. You know, they're ripping each other's little Play-Doh arms off or whatever. And, and so... How long, how long would you deal with this? And would you, if you could somehow, would you actually insert yourself and, and become a little Play-Doh person so that you might actually be tormented and killed by little Play-Doh people so that you might actually purchase them and so that you might somehow, by losing, win victory for them? That's, ultimately, that's what has, has kind of happened. It's, it's this interesting thing with God that, that God ha, has come and, and, and he's, he's brought in this situation that it would appear that by losing we win, right? That, that what would appear to be uh, uh, defeat on the cross is actually victory. When, when we look into the Old Testament, we see some really interesting things about God, like that even just this concept or this idea that God could be approached and, and bargained with and even talked to. Uh, uh, Abraham does that on, on behalf of you know, he begins to, to bargain with God whenever uh, God said he's going to destroy Sodom. And, and Abraham's like, whoa, 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 what if there were 50 righteous there? God's like, well, I'll, I'll save it for the 50. And, and he begins to kind of make this intercession, this idea of God, who are you and how, how compassionate are you, right? We see Moses make intercession for people and deal with God. And we even see God say, okay, I'm going to relent on this and, and I'm going I'm to do it different. So anyway, this, this idea, this, this concept of the humility of God, let's kind of look at this from, from, from a, a perspective, again, of, of the creator of all things. John 1, in the beginning was the word. Was the word, the word is Jesus, right? Remember, this is a Greek word. It's the word logos. And, 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 and for the Greek culture around there, it doesn't mean just a word, like just a spoken word. It's the very, the, the, it, it's what brings form and meaning and purpose to the entire universe. When they speak about the logos, they're, they're talking about a, a very descript kind of a thing. They're, they're talking about the very essence of the created order around them. And so when, when John uses this word logos, he's doing it very much on purpose to reach into that world around there and, and to begin to give them some idea of who he's talking about as he begins to talk. And we also know that, that God created, right, through this spoken word, the first created order of God is just to let there be light, right? And so, so we see that God speaks into this, and Jesus now, in this word, 
John is also tying him back to Genesis 1, which is this idea that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? And, and we see actually a cooperative effort between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? We see the, 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 the Father is, is the one who is speaking. We see the Spirit is, is hovering over the surface of the deep. And then we see what? That the Father speaks, and out of the mouth of, of, of God, out of the Father comes this word, this spoken word. And what is this word? This word is, is light, right? Jesus, again, I am the light of the world, right? Whoever, whoever follows me will never dwell in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the word was with God, right? He was present there. So he's telling us here that, that this word is, is, is that, that Jesus is pre-incarnate, that he is he is eternal, that he's always been, that he's always been in relation with the Father. Again, as we kind of look and think about these things and the concept of the Trinity, the idea is if God is love, then prior to creation, what did he love? The answer to that is that his love was found within himself. Love was found within the relationship that God has with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so there's a love relationship that everything is based on in this, in this whole thing as, as we see God and who he is. And we see that God begins to create as he is, and all of God's creation is a picture of the magnitude and the grandeur of who God is. When we look at some of these things and we're like, wow, that is awesome, really it's not awesome. What's really awesome is the God who is beyond it, the God who, who brought it into existence. So the word was God. So again, this idea too that Jesus is divine, this is a proclamation to his divinity that he's not just a man who entered into the world, but he's very God, he's God himself. He was in the beginning with God and all things, all things, how much? All things came into being through him and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. When you get into, if you, if you ever have like the Jehovah Witnesses knock on your door, this will be a, a thing that they'll want to really kind of hammer through. And one thing I always kind of point to them is that it says, because they believe that Jesus was the first created being, and then after that, all of the rest of creation happened. And, and, and so, but, but it doesn't say that. It says that all things came into being through him, and not even one thing came into being apart from him. So he cannot be a created being because all created things came through him. So, moving on. Colossians 1, this backs it up again, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, when it says the firstborn of all creation, it doesn't mean that he was the first created being. It means that he is, has the inheritance. He is the one who will inherit all of creation. He's both the one who has founded it and the one also who will inherit it, right? He's the one who's purchased it and will inherit all that is. And, the, uh, and, and it says, for by him all things were created, all things, both in heavens, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, right? We've talked about this. Mike talks about this a lot, this idea that, this is, that science even calls this the Colossians principle, 
the idea that somehow we've got, we've got uh, protons and electrons and neutrons and things that are circling around the core of it within an, the atomic structure, and somehow those things don't fly apart because they're oppositely charged. Somehow those things actually are held together by something. Well, Colossians here tells us that it's God himself who holds the entire universe together. If he ever ceased to hold the universe together, it would instantly just explode and fly apart. So I want to look at just a few things. I just want to start there, that this is who we're talking about. We're talking about the creator of all things. Okay, so you see that? I don't know if you can even see that, but, but this is just the first place. So, so this over here to the right is like the, the, the largest star that they, they know of, I think. They're probably, they maybe they found something bigger by now. But this is Canis Majoris, right? The, the Canis Majoris, big dog. That's the big dog. That thing. Do you, can you even see that dot over there? That's our sun, that's our sun in comparison to this star called Canis Majoris. So what we want to start doing is start to get an idea of size, because sometimes we think we're a really big deal, right? I mean, I know I am a big deal, but, but, but this starts to put a little bit of perspective into the world around us, right? This, this is, this is the Eagle Nebula. It, it's called the, the, the NASA has kind of dubbed this photo the, the Pillars of Creation, Right, these three pillars here, and and, and within this, uh, these stars are are, are being born and and, and whatever. Um, but but it's it's just this amazingly beautiful, and and actually that doesn't, but that, that's actually light years from one end to that to the other year, you know. And a light year, if you if you're familiar, a light year is is the amount of of uh, distance that that light will travel in a vacuum, and it ends up being like 186,000 miles every second, and, and so. So a, a light year then is the amount of country that light can, can travel across in a year of traveling, I think it's 13 times around the earth per second, it's something crazy. And so if you did that for a year, actually years, that's how long it would take you to fly from one end of that to the other even. It doesn't look that big, but it's really massive. This right here is, is a famous Hubble uh, Photo. It's, it's a deep. It's called deep space. And 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 what the the story behind this is is that there was a guy who was a scientist, and I, I can't remember what affiliation he had, but evidently somehow he was racking up uh, time on the Hubble telescope. He he had time that he could could use to observe, and he wasn't really doing it. And and so he racked up a bunch of time that he was able to to do whatever experiment that he wanted to do. And and what he ended up doing was he said, you know what, let's do. Let's take and let's aim the telescope at what appears in the sky to be a relatively dark place in the sky that doesn't really seem to have anything in it. And, and, and so they, somewhere up around uh, the Big Dipper uh, in there ish, they just aimed the, the Hubble telescope there and they just left it open the, the, and they just let it collect light for I, I don't even know how long. And, and this is what they found. And so what they thought was like this... Of, in, in comparison to the rest of, the, of space around, they thought this was a relatively empty spot. And all of those dots that you're seeing, none of those are stars. Those are all galaxies. Those are all galaxies that contain billions of stars within each one. I mean, it just starts getting really crazy. Now, now real quick, the one thing that we're going to do next is we're going to show a, a little video. And it's a video that Troy and I put together a couple years ago. And we've shown it a couple of times. But, but, but what this video does is it basically, we're going to leave from right here at the church. And we're actually going to take off 
right? And we're going to fly to the edge of the known universe, okay? And we're going to listen to what God's Word begins to proclaim about who He is in this video. So if we could roll that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Who alone stretches out the heavens and tramples down the waves of the sea? Who makes the bear, Orion, the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south? Who does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without number? Were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. Were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. He determines the numbers of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Stretching out the heavens like a tent, he lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. 
He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever to him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever to him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever to him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever the sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever the moon and the stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. He increases power, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together, assemble all of you and listen. Therefore, you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundary of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. We got everybody back? Everybody made it? Good. So the, the, the more that one has, the more that, that they are, the more power, the, the, the more amazing any display of, of humility is. 
But, but through Jesus, we see, we see this humility of God. We see that, that he, he came, that, that he actually left his dwelling place, which is heaven, to come here, to, to put on flesh, to be born as a baby, to be vulnerable even, to need care and, and, and to, to, again, as we talk, to, to relate to us or to make him relatable, maybe we should say better, to us because he came to, to show us who he is and he spoke human to us because human is the only thing that we can speak. John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. John 3.31, he who comes from above is above all. The one who is only from the earth is of the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. John 6.38, Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, even the, the, the very nature of the relationship of the Trinity, the relationship that God has within himself is based in humility, each one exalting the other, each one giving glory and, uh, to the other, for I have not come just to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 58, this is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, the one who eats this bread will live forever. And we see that he came in Luke 2, verse 4 through 7. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And so... What an amazing thing that, that, that God certainly wasn't caught by surprise that everything was full there, that he came even into this creation, even into his creative order, knowing that there would not even be room for him in his birth and his, as he came in. And then this tells us that, that, that knowing that this and who God is, that God already knew. He knew all of these things prior to entering into this world. He came as a servant. God came to serve us. What a crazy thing. I mean, what a, what a, when we start to get some, a little bit of thought around this idea of who God is, to think that he would come and that he would come to, in service to us, that he would come in pursuit of a relationship to us, that he would come and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 22, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is, is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I among you as the one who serves. What's he saying? He's the one who is worthy, right, to be served, He's the one who could just sit at the head of the table and ask that everybody serve him. But Jesus sets this upside down, backwards kingdom up before us, right? We're the first or last, the last or first. To, to live, you have to die. To receive, you have to give. To, uh, to be greatest, you have to be the servant. 
See, it's so in contradiction to how we think and, and who we are. I mean, the reality is so many times of our own humility is that it's kind of based in a false humility that just presents itself as something humble so that we might actually look a little better, which is kind of the opposite of humility. John 13, verses 12 through 16, then... When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Do you know that in Roman culture, if your, if your bondservant was a Roman citizen, it was illegal for you to have him wash your feet. In, in, in Asian culture, the feet are the lowest part of the body. They're the most detestable thing. They're the thing that are, it's messy, you know, dusty roads and camel stuff and everything, right? And, and, and so to, to, for, for Jesus, for the, for, the, for the creator of all things, to gird himself and bend down and wash the feet of his disciples is profoundly servant-hearted. I mean, it's not just sort of servant-hearted. And what's he calling? He's calling his people, he's calling the church to have that kind of radical humility, you know, our problem is that we're constantly building hierarchies. We're, we're a people who are always trying to live in some kind of hierarchical system of better than. Well, I'm, you know, I don't know. Where do I sit? I don't know. I know I'm better than Adolf Hitler. Not, maybe I'm not quite as good as Mother Teresa. I don't know. But I'm better than some, and, I, and, and maybe I'm worse. But you see, God, God, God basically has, has taken that, that system of thought out of the equation. And the, the bad news before we get to good news is, is remembering what, what God says about good people. There aren't any. It's that simple. There really aren't any. Even our good works are an extension of our selfishness on so many levels. We rarely have a pure motive, if ever, But God is calling us to this radically changed life to where we throw away the idea that that God is bringing into the world what the world really wants and and what what social justice kind of things are going on out in the world. What do we want to see? We 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 want equality, right? There's equality at the cross. Nobody's better than. Nobody's above. Right? James talks about this. He talks about if you're, if you're in church and, and a poor man comes in, right, and, and, and a rich man, and he's dressed in fine clothes, and you tell him, oh, come over here to the best spot and sit where it's all good. And we're, you know, we're, but to the poor man, you say, oh, well, why don't you just kind of sit at the back or over here by my feet? Um, it says that, that God says that that, that is that, that's just thought that's not in any kind of agreement with his. He says, have you not then... uh, made distinctions among yourselves, right? It's the cross. It's this place where where there's equality, this idea that we throw away the hierarchy of the world, the idea that somehow somebody else is is better than somebody. See, it's, it's all rooted in pride and ego. It's all rooted in this idea that I'm better than other people. 
But to see the God of the universe came and did the unthinkable, honestly, in what he did. I mean, it's absolutely, honestly, beyond comprehension. I mean, we can't even be a CEO and be humble enough, really, to, to deal with the bathroom. But the God of the universe, the creator of all of that and even more, things that we can't even imagine or explain, came to serve us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he didn't just come to serve. He didn't just come to to teach us how to be good servants. He came to to die, to give his life in exchange for ours, where, 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 where it was impossible for us to have a relationship before a perfect God. He He came and he lived that life out for us and then now stands ready to exchange that righteous life into our account. It talks about it. It talks about imputing that, the righteousness of Christ into our account. The the wording in that in the Greek is is a financial transaction almost. It has that connotation, that idea that placed into our account is God's righteousness. He takes our sin, our wrong stuff, where we miss the mark, where we fall short, where we're egotistical, where we're prideful, where we're not humble, where we treat others wrong, where we're selfish, all of these things. He, he takes that on himself on the cross, and then he stands ready for anyone, anyone, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, will recognize the reality of, of where they sit. The problem with me is I have a perception of me. I have a perception of Try that Try's a pretty decent guy. You know, I'm a pretty good guy. Most, most people would kind of not everybody. Not everybody would agree with that, but most people might. Most people would even tell you, boy, Chai, he's a pretty good guy, and he does a lot of good stuff or whatever, you know, and, and whatnot. And I can think about myself, and I see, you know, this is how I see myself, and I'm, I'm kind of a big deal, and it's pretty good. It's, it's looking good, you know. But then there's a reality when I really look deep, and I look into my past, and I look at the, who I really am, and, and what I see is this little shadow figure that's kind of running around there. And he's doing things that aren't in agreement with my perception of who Tri is. There, there are things that, that, that honestly I'm ashamed of. That, that, and I've said this before. I can't remember what pastor said this, but, but I thought it was hilarious. He said this. He said, look, if you knew what God knows about me, you wouldn't listen to one word I have to say. That's the truth, too. I guarantee you guys that. But you know what? If I knew about you, what God knows about you, I would have locked the door this morning before you got here. <laughs> so... So you see, God has made this thing where we can all throw that aside, and we can just receive the grace and the mercy and the love of God, not to be made into good people. That's not God's idea. God, God's plan is not to take and turn us all into good people, right? The, somebody had said this, I can't remember, they said, look, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive, Right? This is the picture. The picture is this. It's the picture is the life of Christ lived through me. The picture isn't try going out and figuring out how to do a lot of good things. The picture is try submitted to the life of to, to Jesus and to his ways and allowing the spirit of God to live out the life of Jesus as I walk this earth, right? It's, it's, it's not about this, I'm going to go try to be good. No, 
I'm going to go try to be surrendered to Jesus and let him be good through me. Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Here, God is pulling us into this. He's pulling God's people into this picture of radical humility, of radical love. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. We're really good at that, right? I think that's why Jesus tells us to, to love your neighbor as yourself. Think about the frame of reference he just gave us as to how to love your neighbor. Just like you love you. <laughs> how about that? You make sure you got what you need, right? You, sure, you make sure that you are, are, are taken care of on a lot of levels and stuff. I know I sure do. And now Jesus is telling us, how about you do that for your neighbor? How about you do that in that same way, with that same thought, with that same approach to it, that you just love your neighbor that radically and that hard? And I think that the hard part, the really hard part is, it, it is like, it's, do we do, are we doing that as God's people? You know, could we go ask each other's neighbors how we're doing at that? Wonder what they'd say. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and by being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death death on a cross. That's humility, right? And this is the humility that God is calling his people to, is to empty ourselves up of the, of the inflated status and, the, and, 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 and who we think we are and how we see ourselves and what, what great folks we are, and to recognize our need for Christ, the reality of that, and to live in accordance to that. To not live under these, these hierarchies of, of, well, I'm better than these or those, you know? Let's admit it. When we go out into the world and stuff, we run across people that we don't want to come in here. What an indictment. What, what, what a tough thing. I mean, and, and so God is calling us to just this radical thing that says, throw all of that away and begin to see people for who they are that they are image bearers of God. Yeah, they're image bearers of Adam too. They're copies of Adam, right? Maybe more so a little bit that way. But they're created in the very image of God. And they have value and they have worth, not because of their actions, not because of their bad stuff or their good stuff. They have value because they have a loving God who has poured himself out, who has humbled himself, who through obedience, even to the point of death, death on a cross, and some translations translate this, even death upon a tree. Because let's remember what got us into this thing, right? It was Adam's disobedience before the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, his desire to be God, his and Eve's, both of them, right? Blame game, right? Remember, Adam was like, it's... Uh, your fault, God, and her fault, right? That woman you made me, that's the problem. And she said, well, the devil made me do it, right? So we start to have this blame game of this and that and justifications and all of this. But you see, we were lost at that point. We were without hope. There was no human then who could fix the problem. 
There was no person that could work this out. The disobedience before that tree would have a requirement. It would have a requirement of a righteous life that was obedient as well. The call was always obedience. And that one was obedient even to the point of death, even death upon a tree. And so we see that, that Jesus, as he entered into this world, he came and he didn't redeem not just our sin, but even the entire situation of how that occurred. If you look in Romans 5, you'll, you'll see the comparison between first Adam, right, and Jesus. That first Adam was a type of Christ, but that Jesus is the fulfillment. And he's our hope. And his humility is just this crazy thing that I think that we should really just kind of try to soak in that a little bit. Try to soak in that idea of how humble how much humility it would have taken. And then realizing the reality of that, you know what, you and I, we never would have done it. If we were in that spot, with that much status, with that much power, with that much means, and there was just this lowly, you know, my Plato people, you know what, judgment would have came. <laughs> it would have been it. I would have been stomping on Plato people, and it would have been over with. And I would have never made any more. But that's not the heart of God. And that's not supposed to be the heart of the church, right? So the church, the church has done a great job of coming against. We got to start coming for, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus came for us, right? Despite who we were, despite what we thought, despite our disobedience and all of these things. While we were the enemy of God, not because we were good, because he's good, he came. So, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for just this radical vision of humility. We thank you, Jesus, that you just did the unthinkable, really, the thing that we can't even comprehend. I can't even think about a level of humility that looks anything close to that. But we are so grateful that you did what you did, that you came, that you brought life to us, that you, that you entered into our suffering and you suffered on our behalf so that you might extend salvation and life to us. So, Lord, where we were just lost and we were lost in darkness, we thank you that you are the light of the world, that you've given us a path and that you've given us a way, and that you now call us as your people to be world changers, to love so radically, to live a life that's so radically humble that we tear down any kind of a hierarchy, that we recognize the reality of the equality that, that you've purchased, that you've brought into this world and made possible. And so, Lord, may we live that out in our lives. May we never see ourselves as a big deal. May we never see ourselves as above others. Uh, may there never be anybody who we see that we really wouldn't want to invite to church because that wouldn't be in agreement with you and, and how you think. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you came, that you were in the fire, that you are in the fire with us that you are making a difference in our lives, that you are supporting and encouraging us through this, that you are building your church, that you're growing something that, that, that can't be stopped. And so, Lord, may we just rightfully take our place in what you're doing. May we just realize the privilege of serving you in your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.